Today is June 19th, 2016, and the title for today's message is Fatherhood is the Answer. Fatherhood is the Answer. Now, you might be wondering what the question is, and we'll get to that here in a minute, but I can assure you that fatherhood is the answer. Um, Susan, we're going to go to the pictures, and we're going to run through all the pictures here in a row, and then we'll come back to the slide. What do you think of when you think of manhood? Yes. Fatherhood. <laughs> We're getting way too many amens over here, I'm just saying. For those of you youngsters who may not be well trained in, in, in real manhood, this is John Wayne, the Duke. All right? You can go to the next one. Maybe, maybe it's Clint Eastwood. All right? Or, or Chuck Norris. This is for some of you younger ones, right? Because as we all know, when Chuck Norris does push-ups, he doesn't push himself up. He pushes the world down. <laughs> we all know that Chuck Norris's tears can cure cancer. Too bad he's never cried. <laughs> there are actually entire websites devoted to the ridiculous manliness of Chuck Norris. I do not necessarily encourage them because they are not all appropriate and family friendly. But we have these stereotypes. Uh, go ahead to the next one, just in case, you know. I know. Someone, so, <laughs> there was a gasp. It's <laughs> the beard. I have to be honest, while I was, I was studying last night and I actually found a website that had like the top 25 beards of all time. Uh, this close, people. This close. Before you go to the next one. So this is, uh, this is a, a fairly typical, uh, quote-unquote, universal picture of what manhood is, at least in our culture. I say that, but as, as we look through the times, uh, you'll notice that all these gentlemen, if they're still alive are much more advanced in age, right? We'll go to the next one and, and show kind of what our, our society is starting to do. This is the 80s, right? Yeah. Come on, Brandy. You know you know who those people are, right? So you, you, you start getting a, a picture, uh, and I'm going to say it this way. What, what's happened? Instead of a very clear, defined picture of manhood, what you start getting are very androgynous pictures, Androgynous means that you can't really tell if they're male or female, right? Models are now, many models and a lot of uh, shoots are chosen because they can look androgynous. You're not quite sure if you look at it. You're like, I guess that, I'm not, uh, not quite sure. They're trying to go for a wider appeal in a single picture. Huh? Let's go to the next one. Boy George. Interesting. We'll go to the next one. What happens when they're even overtly sexual in what they say and what they do? You still have a very effeminate, de-masculinized look at what manhood is, right? Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Just saying. So no wonder this, this young man is in trouble Everywhere he goes. He can't act responsible in any place on the planet that he goes. He's disrespectful to everyone and making 
social faux pas everywhere he goes. You know why? Because at a very early age, when he's still a child, we have adult women, adult women, not just peers, but adult women swooning over him because of his childish good looks. It's disturbing. See, what we have to remember, and, and this is, we're not going to stay in this cycle for, for all day, but I do want to lay out a story here because it's easy for us to forget. The, the first reaction when we put up JB was laughter, right? This is funny. This is, it is. It's supposed to be lighthearted. And there is a, um, an evil perversion that happens that tries to work in us. Things that should sicken us if the society around us can get us to laugh, you know what we do when we laugh? We take in. The whole point behind comedy and comedians is that if they can get you to laugh, they can instruct you and shape the way you think. Why? Because you let all your guard down. And you, in, you have an intake going on without any barriers up. Let's look at the next one. Now you're afraid to laugh because I just said that. No, we can't laugh now. I got you. This is a a modern, uh, very popular television character. The gentleman who plays this character is actually openly homosexual. From Houston, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that out there at you. The whole world of he and his friends is this. These are men who would, uh, you know, Comic-Con. They like to play video games all day. They have a... Very difficult time. One of the characters can't, for, at least for a while in the TV series, couldn't talk to a female. Could, like, would, they would stand there and he would just... Unless he was, had some uh, alcoholic help along the way. One of the most popular TV shows, maybe ever. At least for the last few years. We're getting pictures of men who don't have an understanding. Incredibly intelligent is the scenario but a real lack of understanding of anything that goes on in the world. Next one. <laughs> uh, so we, have, we, have, we start having a juxtaposition of roles, right? If you can't tell, the lady, there's a lady on your left. The one flexing is a lady-ish. And, and then there's a, apparently a male next to her. They have a strong female look and a very weak, nerdly, I don't know what the green hair is about, but that kind of gives you a picture of it. Or we have this. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we've gone from John Wayne and Clint Eastwood to sparkly goodness. We have bright, sparkly My Little Pony here. (laughs) But but what's the the picture trying to teach you? Hey, Pastor Wade, it's not teaching us anything. I mean, we understand. We understand. If it were just one thing, then we laugh it off. But you have something that's trying to say, the glory of a man is something that should be sparkly. Wow. Or... This. Uh, now, Pastor Wade, the, the thing is, is, is this particular person who was once an Olympic 
gold medalist. Look, there's just a specific thing there. This is, this is not as widespread as you're trying to make it sound. Well, the next one I would beg to differ with you. The making of the modern male. So that's supposed to be a man on the front. It is a man on the front. It's not supposed to be. We've gone a long way, haven't we? We're supposed to accept this. We're supposed to say, no, it's really okay. We've gone to some caricaturized version of these things where the pictures that we see are either this or (laughs) you're either an incredible wimp, can't really get along in life. Most TV shows have a male that's either overweight or completely an idiot and it is the pretty, sexy mom that's really got it all together that kind of runs everything. And the dad's basically just another child in the household. Is this true or not? You you may not have thought about this before. This is the picture that we get a thousand times a day. So we've gone from this, and we'll go to the next one. Stormin Norman, General Norman Schwarzkopf. (laughs) How is it that when men are supposed to be made for war, we, we don't talk about them, but we're trying to promote all these other types? You're either weak and a buffoon or you're an overly sexualized creature. You're an animal with no couth, with no understanding. Susan, we'll go to the slideshow now. We have an all-out assault. Here's just a few stats. I won't take very long on this, but I put them on the screen for you. In case the type is a little small, I'll, just, I'll give you the idea. All of these statistics are, are coming from children in fa- with fatherless homes. Fatherless homes is the key. 63% of suicides from fatherless homes. 90%, 90% of all homeless and runaway children from a fatherless home. 85% kids displaying behavioral disorders, fatherless. 80% of rapists with violent anger disorders, fatherless. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless. 75% of all adolescent patients in drug abuse centers, not even the ones taking, but the ones who have actually been so bad that they've been committed somewhere, 75% fatherless. 85% of all youth in prison are from fatherless homes. Uh, our prison ministry folks, I would imagine that you would... If you talk to folks long enough, you'd probably agree with this. This is a common, this is common. I, can, I have the actual citations of where these were found for the statistics in case anyone's wondering and you want to talk to me after, I'll give them to you and you can see. FBI, CDC, uh, they're, they're, they've been vetted pretty well. But when you have an all-out assault, what is this also saying? You know, when you go around and people don't have a problem People have a big problem when you start using the name of Jesus somewhere. Don't they? You can walk in and talk about God in a generic sense all day. You can use His name as as a part of a profane utterance. Or what our our society considers that. And what happens? No problems. You start using the name of Jesus and you start running into problems. So what does that do? That actually emphasizes and it should show us that there is power in the name of Jesus. Because it rattles people. It bothers them. If you've been going through your whole life and your whole walk and people don't, aren't bothered by your presence, let me encourage you. Let Christ shine more in you. 
Because if you really are, there are going to be some friction points of people who are like, nah, I don't get you. Good. Because maybe it's that you're not getting God and I'm, su- I'm being a better representative so you can see Him and your problem is with God, not with me. Maybe some of us, sh- some of us should seek to pick a fight a little bit. Amen. You should go out there and make an impact, not in your own flesh, but showing Christ so much that you get out there and people see and they're bothered by you because you have a righteous standard. They're bothered by you because you use the name of Jesus Christ. They're bothered by you because you are strong. So in the same way that we can kind of see when people have a problem with Jesus, we understand it's because He's powerful and it starts to move things. What if, I'm going to turn these statistics around just for you. These are the exact same statistics. I'm showing it to you on the flip side. Okay? So 37, only 37% of youth suicides are from homes with any type of fatherly influence. The father could be a drug addict. The father could be abusive. And only 37% of youth suicides come from homes with any type of fatherly influence in it. 10% of all homeless and runaway children come from a home with fatherly influence. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about good influences. The statistics don't show whether it was good or bad. It's just saying if you have a fatherly influence in there, it begins to work and manifest something of righteousness, something of rightness in a home. 15% of children displaying behavioral disorders from a family with fatherly influence. 20% of the rapists with violent anger. 29% of high school. Only 29% of high school dropouts. You want to fix the high school dropout rate in the United States? Fix the fathers. Period. 25% of all adolescent patients in drugs and only 25%. One in four. With any type of influence at all from a male. Any type. 15% of all youth in prison are from homes with a father's influence. <laughs> Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Let's go to the next slide. Our Bible promotes manhood in an extremely powerful way. This is Father's Day. Yes, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> We're going to talk about this and see because it's something that should help us. It's something that blesses us. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 6. Verse 6 through 8. Say there when you're there. 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 Those patterns that we have, like I mentioned of how honored I am by Mr. Fred every time he stands for me. If you are in this church very long, you should probably know and almost be able to quote Exodus 6, 6 through 8. This is something that we repeat a great deal. And if you haven't noticed it, it's okay, because I'm letting you know now. We say it a lot. Right? Uh, six, chapter 6 and verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. If you've gone through our marriage counseling, if you've been around long enough, you know that the first four is literally what a Jewish couple would use as part of an engagement. 
I'd like to propose to you. And what I want to propose to you as the man is that I'm going to do exactly what God proposed to us. This is a picture. Let's turn to Malachi. Pastor Eric mentioned it during the worship time. Malachi, the last book in the Old Ur Testament. <laughs> Old Ur. The Older, sorry. My CPU skipped for a second there. <laughs> let's, let's turn to uh, Malachi 4 and let's start in verse 5. It says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is God's desire. Is that fathers, there are a fatherly heart that rises up within us. Not only for those with our DNA, but in a church body, there has to be a father's heart that rises up. There's a need for a father's heart. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. You guys with me? Psalm chapter 2, and let's read in verse 7. Say there when you're there. there. Says this, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. (laughs) God calls us his children. He's establishing that. You're my son and I'm your father. God, what a beautiful picture. Have you ever been rejected before? Have you ever been not picked? Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever felt disgraced because you weren't the one chosen? Maybe your earthly parents did that to you. Maybe you had to go find someone else. Maybe you sought approval elsewhere. This is what our God says to us. Today... You are my son, and I can become your father. Amen. That is a beautiful, life-changing understanding. You have a place. I want every person in the room to look up at me for just a second. You have a place. You have a place here. You have a place in the body of Christ. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. You are not ignored. God says in, uh, in Psalm 68.6, it says that the Lord sets the lonely in families. Can I just encourage you? If you're lonely, we will be your family. We will be your family. The leadership of this church, <laughs> getting old enough now that I feel more like a father to some people, even though the age wouldn't really work out. I feel very fatherly to people even if they're slightly older than me. I I have a father's heart that says, we got your family right here. You're not forgotten. We know you. We see you. We care about you. This is a place that you're supposed to be. You know why? Because that is the heart of the father. When I say that, I am reflecting the purity of the heart of the God of all creation. We say it this way that one of the things that I love about this church is that we pastor people. This is not pastoring, by the way. This. This. Me talking to you. That's not pastoring. Maybe it's a small part. Pastoring happens when the microphone's off 
and we're sitting and we have a cup of coffee at the table. Pastoring happens when we're texting you back and forth and calling you. Pastoring happens when you're over at the house. Pastoring happens when we're moving somebody. Pastoring, all the pastoring actually happens away from this one spot. You could preach from here. You could teach from here. But pastoring starts here. But aren't we really saying that we want to father you? We want to know you well enough that we can say, we know where you're strong, we know where you're weak, we love you like crazy, and we won't let you stay where you are. Come on and grow. Let us bring you to maturity. Are you saying you got it all figured out? Absolutely. <laughs> you're expecting something different, weren't you? No, I don't have it all figured out, but we're going we're gonna to do this. You know why? Because I don't have to have it all figured out because I'm the Father. In my home, I can learn and God will lead me. And even if I don't know, Lord, I've never been this way before. I have no idea where I'm going. Would you show us? And you know what he does? Because he's a good father, he shows me. And my family is blessed because of it. You know what happens in this church? You have godly men. You have godly families that are crying out to God on your behalf. I don't win if I win. I win if you win. This is the attitude of our leadership team. You know what? You know how I win? I win if Ella and Justin Treister kill it everywhere they go. When they go out and succeed in Christ, you know what? That's my victory. Hey, I want to tell you something. This is so much better than trying to make everything about me. It is. I could. (laughs) I only need to be as successful as what it takes to help you be successful. That is the heart of a father. I will do what I do. Why? For my family. I will do what I do so that my kids are better than me. I want them to stand on my shoulders and go higher and go faster and go farther. I want them to. It blesses me. As a matter of fact, if they don't, I will look at my life as incomplete. That's what I want from them. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 and starting in verse 9. says this, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Well, that's not very nice, Jesus. These are red letters, folks. (laughs) This is Jesus speaking. Is it red letters? Okay, good. Amen. Isn't this incredible? Listen to what Jesus says. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Hey, folks, what are you setting aside in your life because it suits your traditions? Are you setting aside things in your own walk with the Lord because it just seems right? It, it just seems, seems logical. But you're setting aside? Look at what it says in verse 10. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. I don't have time. I'm not, I'm not going to take time today to talk deeply about this. But are there preclusions about honoring your father and your mother? No. If they're good, if they're good fathers, if they're good mothers. Now, the, the understanding and the depth of that would say what honor is. I had to figure out how to honor my father. There were years that I was angry. I'm, I was a believer, and I was angry at my father. You know why? Because my dad put me in a position where I was basically the dad of my home 
since the time I was about 15 years old. I didn't understand it until I was about 25 and can look back and be like, wait, I, I taught my sister how to drive a standard. I bought my sister her first vehicle so she could go to college. I taught my brother and sister how to swim. I realized that I did a lot of the fatherly roles in our home when I was very, very young and I didn't have the capacity to understand that I was even doing that. I just thought I was being a good brother and a good son. When I went to college, I gave my parents money when I went to college. I would take scholarships and pay it to them because they, had, they struggled financially. So I was going to college, getting that and, giving, and, paying, and paying money to my family to help it keep afloat. I was functioning as a father. There were times that I got mad at my dad because I realized, when I realized that I shouldn't have done that, hey, wait a minute, that wasn't my role. Oh. But I had to work through these things and I had to learn what honoring really means. It doesn't mean accepting everything it said. If it's ungodly, I honor my father by saying, Dad, I love you. I respect you. That is completely wrong. You are completely against Scripture in what you just said, Dad. For me to say anything else is dishonoring to the highest degree. I said it with respect. Most of the time we can have some of these conversations without screaming at each other too much. Most of the time. I had to learn what it's like to honor. But we're not allowed to not honor our parents. We just have to make sure that we're doing exactly what God says. We represent God in those matters when we're talking to our parents, when we're encouraging our parents. And even in my case, having to apply appropriate discipline to my parents. Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is Korban. We should know about Korban, right? You should attach that to Leviticus. The first thing that you hear in Korban is some of the teachings that Pastor Eric and the church has done in Leviticus 1 through 5. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition. Wow. Wow that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. (laughs) Jesus is saying, hey, you have to stand up and do what's right. You have to honor your parents and not allow tradition to pull you off from what it's like to be and walk in fatherhood and in manhood. Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 1. Really fast. (laughs) We know it's coming. Hey, do me a favor. While we're talking about that, don't get too far ahead of me just because the Scriptures are on the screen. They're there to make it easy on you, but if you get ahead because you want to get there too quickly, you might miss the actual point of what we're saying. Yes? Amen? Those of you on Friday night learned that lesson, so I thought I'd bring it back up. Revelation chapter 1. I need to get there. And verse... Let's start reading in verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia... Grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before His throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us. Everybody say loves us. us. And has freed us. Say freed us. us. 
from our sins by His blood and has made us, everybody say made us, to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. This is what we're supposed to be walking in. I'm going to talk through Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what this helps me learn about manhood? That God initiates and we respond. James 1 says, uh, 1.17 says that the Father of lights, all good and perfect gifts comes from the Father of lights. His, his goodness flows down to us and you know what we do? We respond. You know what that looks like for me as a man? It means that I initiate. I'm supposed to lead. I'm supposed to lead out and do things. And what happens is my wife can respond. I initiate. She can respond. I lead. My wife and kids can follow. This is the right order. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Let's, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 11.3. First Corinthians eleven three. There you go. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. <laughs> it's giving it's giving you a line of authority here, a flow of shalom that can help you understand the right order of things. Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and the head of Christ is God. So we get God, Christ, man, woman. Does everybody see that right there? Clearly spelled out? Turn to Ephesians, Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And according to 1 Corinthians 11, also the head of man. He's the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. And everything. What an antithetical thing to say in our modern time. How dare you, in your relic, your old scripture, say that a woman should submit to a man? How dare we say that our current traditions should lead us away from exactly what the scripture says? It's one of those things, uh, and I've said this before, one of the things that I'm working with my kids, and they do a good job for the most part, but every once in a while, I'll say something, and in an attempt to help dad out, they'll try to offer an alternate. And I'm like, and my, and my response to them is often, hey, let's just presume that dad actually knows what he's talking about, and actually said exactly what he meant to say. Let's start there. They usually tuck their head and quickly, yes, sir, apologize. Let's, let's just presume that God knows exactly what we're supposed to do. Let's just start with that presumption. It's, not, it's more than a presumption, obviously. I'm, I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek. Let's start with that in our hearts. Let's, let's say the first thing out of our mouth is that God's ways are right and just. He does nothing that is wrong. 
and I will not impugn his character by even questioning his thoughts. If he says it, I'm going to do it. Period. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. All the wives should have said amen to that. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Amen. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are many, uh, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. For this reason, the reason that it's explaining to you there. Uh, Pastor, I'm not married yet. Why, why are you going into this? Because every person in the room needs to understand that this is the righteous standard and this is what we're all working towards. If you're not yet married and hope to be one day, this is exactly how we should be preparing our hearts to act. If you are married, it helps <laughs> to straighten out our thoughts on what's going on. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. My wife and I have had the privilege of counseling with some couples, and literally, they may have left physically their parents' house, but they never really left. One or the other kind of stayed attached more than they should have. Y'all are real quiet. I don't know. I mean, everybody's thinking about where they're going to go for lunch or something. I don't know. No, no, no. Detaching. <laughs> Detaching and attaching. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot more instructions to the male than there is to the female there. There's a long list of what we're supposed to do as the husband. We have to love like Christ. We have to give our lives up for our wife. We have to wash her with the water of the word. We have to present her to ourselves. That's a lot of things that we are supposed to be doing. You know why? Because we're supposed to be representing Jesus Christ. Amen. If at the end of this passage you said, this is, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Jesus Christ in the church. So the role is the husband's mirror. We get our marching orders from Jesus. We look at what He did, and that is our responsibility. As a church... We, as a wife, you look at what the church's responsibility are, and that gives you your marching orders. You know what the fun part? If you're a man, you actually have to learn both, don't you? Because <laughs> we're his bride, but we have a bride. It's a, it's a great thing. Let's go on to the next slide. The Bible promotes manhood, but you know what? So does our church. And we're unashamed about that. We are not apologetic about this in the least. These are some sayings that have come, some axioms that have come about over the years. Do the work. You've been around here any length of time, you know that we're about doing the work. Amen. I need my brother and my brother needs me. Amen. We want to be willing to die for our brother's vision. Yeah. That's, such a, that's such a shift... You live in a world that's only concerned about themselves. They're myopic. They have one view and it's just about themselves. What is this going to do for me? What's in it for me? 
If you're a salesman, that's actually one of the questions that you're supposed to address for people. All right? What's in it for me? Tell me why I'm supposed to buy your product. Tell me why I'm supposed to do what you want me to do. How does it impact me? You know what this church says? We're not as worried about that. We know and we're going to go after God and what He's told us to do with all of our heart. And we're not going to neglect our brother who needs help. We're not going to neglect those that need some encouragement and that need us to come alongside of them. We talk about a masculine holiness. This is our church. If you hadn't quite figured that out yet, this is who we are. A mezuzah. I put that up as the mezuzah statement for the home. Derived from Deuteronomy 6. In other words, we feel like the husband of a household should have an understanding of what God has called him to and his wife can join him and his kids can join him in that and they can go with one purpose. Not division. Not by vision. But they can have a vision for their household. So that there's a singular purpose so that, you know what? Everyone can run. Everyone can run forward and achieve what God has called you to do. We've, we've brushed on it here in the, on the last slide. We've got a flow of shalom. There's a right order to do things. There is a right order, whether any of us like it or not. The Scripture clearly portrays it. We want to be people. We want to be men of our word. If you've said it, then you need to keep it. If you've made a commitment, even to your own hurt is the way it says it. You will swear to your own hurt. Like, ugh, I really shouldn't have done that. I probably shouldn't have made the promise, but you made the promise, so you need to fulfill it. And you know what that teaches you to do? To be really wise the next time before you make a promise. The idea isn't that you keep committing to things and, and, and making it hard on yourself. How about you're wise in what you say, you weigh it out. There's a thoughtfulness to it that says, I'm going to do this. Well, wait, but if I say it, it cost me everything. I'm going to do this. That's what we're trying to teach as a church. That's what we're trying to be as a church. Amen? Amen. This should bring comfort to you. I know this is... Maybe for some of you, you understand all these things very well. For some of you, it may be revelatory that we've got it listed out like this. This is who we are. It's because we're trying to promote men to be strong men in their homes. I don't need a list of statistics to tell me that we should have strong men. The stronger the man, the stronger the home. If you don't yet have a home, then we're preparing you now. If you're single, I'm telling you, we're preparing you now to be able to have your own home. So that it will last and last and have generational fruit. Amen? Amen. Let's let's look at the next slide. (laughs) We've got examples of fatherhood. I'm just going to talk through these right now. Aaron actually had two sons that, that, succeeded, that succeeded him. And he also has two sons that died because they brought strange fire. Nadab and Abihu were actually killed before the presence of the Lord because they didn't do things the right way. Aaron, the priest of the Lord, had kids that didn't make it, that weren't successful. David... That passage there talks about Adonijah. And it mentions that David never said a word to his son about his behavior. Never. Wow. There are many things that David excelled in. And to have a son that literally never got corrected by his father. It's an embarrassment even upon the great King David. 
Eli, with Hophni and Phinehas. Two sons who were wretched and miserable, who did detestable things in God's presence. And all three, Eli and his two sons, died on the same day. The problem with this one, when we're talking about fatherhood and some negative examples, I could actually give you a lot more. I can actually go through and show you kings that had their sons who did not follow in the way of David, but they followed in the way of Jeroboam. Are they follow- there's, a lot, there's a lot that shows you that this thing called fatherhood is difficult. It's a difficult thing to do well. You know why? Because sometimes we're just trying to figure ourselves out. right? But we're responsible for others, so we've got to get it in line and in order. We'll go to the next slide. Let's turn to these. Genesis 18. Genesis 18 and verse 17. It says this, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? <laughs> That's neat. God wants to share His plan with us. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Uh, Brother Zeke Lamb had a service. I was listening to one of their recent services and it was called Just Right. Talking about justice and righteousness. doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. You know what Abraham is called? He's called the father of the faithful. He literally is setting the example. He's the one that we are supposed to emulate and mark our lives after. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. Going to our prophet now. Went to the law. Now we're in the prophets. Joshua chapter 24. Let's, let's look at 14. <clears throat> Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Goodness gracious. Hey folks, if you just need a, a, revision, a revisitation of God in your life, a fresh vision for your family, how about you look at Joshua 24, 14, and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river. In our case, we might say, Battle against the culture that tries to pervert the very picture that God has set. It was, um, but if throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. I love it. Joshua's not begging anybody. Hey man, make a decision. Serve the Lord or not. But don't be in between. Go after Him wholeheartedly with all that you have. But if not, don't pretend. Wow. That's a, that's a, I, like, I like these kind of, kind of altar calls here, huh? Just choose. I don't even care. Just choose. Whether the gods of your forefathers serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That has to be the heart of every father in here. That has to be a father's heart for this entire body. As for me and this church, we're going to serve the Lord. That it, there is no other option. Turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth 
Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Chapter 4. Families who did it well. Joshua said, me and my whole crew, we're going to make it. Abraham set the example for us all by becoming the father of the faithful. In Ruth chapter 4 verse 13 it says this, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Famous has a certain connotation in our day and time, right? He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. (laughs) The woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Well, you get a righteous lineage in there as we follow the Lord. We can go to the next slide, Susan. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. A fatherly role is a priestly role. A fatherly role is a priestly role. Um, Pastor Eric and I, almost exactly a year ago, it was on Father's Day weekend now that I think about it, one year ago we took our sons, Gabriel and Gabriel, and we went and we had a special time. I've referenced this a few times in different messages because it means something to me. It was a special day in the calendar of me as a father. We went and what we did was we shared hours with them, a couple of days with them and gave them gifts, but the gifts were related to three topics. We wanted them to understand as a man, here's where we want you to start, young men. We want you to be a priest. We want you to be a protector. And we want you to be a provider. And so we had gifts appropriate for each of those categories. And you know what the one that most of our society doesn't think about for men is the priestly role. If you go back enough years, you get enough John Wayne in you, and you'll understand that, well, you've got to take care of your woman. You've got to take care of your kids. Right? Amen. There's an understanding about protector. That, we're actually losing that in our culture as well. Hey, honey... <laughs> I heard a noise downstairs. Really? If any of you ever do that, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to punch you right in the face. And then you're going to thank me for it. Can you, it sounds ridiculous, right? But our culture is pushing more and more for that way. Eh, protector, provider. Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Bible says that a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel, is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. We're not going to sell out for money. But in this time that we talked to our, our, our sons, our young men, we said, hey, this is a transition to manhood kind of weekend. We're no longer going to look at you as boys. We're going to look at you as men. Young, plenty more to develop, but we're going to start treating you like young men. Things are no longer off limits for you. We're going we're to treat you and talk to you, <laughs> both encouraging and correcting, at a new level. And we spend a lot of time talking to them about priestly expectations. 
every man in here has to understand that this is your role as a man. This is your role as a father. It's not because you stand behind the pulpit that you should look at life as a priestly assignment. Jorge, this is what you're, supposed to, this is what you're called to do. You're called to be a priest in your, in your household. And you know what? God is going to equip you and help you. Amen. He's going to strengthen you to be able to do it. Spencer, priest. Priestly Spencer. <clears throat> this, is, this is what we are to do. This is what we are to be. There should be no ambiguity about this whatsoever. Take a look at Exodus 12 and starting in 24. <coughs> It says this, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as He promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, uh uh-oh, here it is. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? By the way, he's saying, hey, when you're trying to be a father here, and your kids are asking, hey, Dad, what's that? What's that? Hey, Dad, 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 Dad. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Hey, Dad, what's that? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when He struck down the Egyptians. We're going to tell you not only what happened in our life and in our history, we're going to tell you what God did. We're going to establish to you, we're going to let you know that the same God that saved us then is going to be the same God that saves us now, is going to be the same God that saves us in the future began to act as priests because this is exactly what the Word does from the very beginning to the very end is that we are designed, we are made, we read in Revelation, to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and Father. This is our role. um, Then the people bowed down and worshipped. You know what's supposed to happen, fathers, as we instruct our kids, as we instruct those around us? It's going to produce worship in your home. That's an interesting response from you guys. Eh, really? No, when you instruct your family properly, it will produce worship in your home. That's true. It will produce a godly atmosphere in your home. You know what happens when you walk into a home that loves the Lord? You can feel it. You can sense the peace of God upon that dwelling. You can feel it when you walk in. You go, huh, it's kind of noisy here. There's lots of people here. There's lots going on and kids running around and dogs barking. And I I don't think I want to be anywhere else. There's activity, but there's a peace because things are in right order. That's what our homes are supposed to be. There's supposed to be a worship that breaks out of our homes. Not always music, but there should be a worshipful attitude towards the Lord that breaks out in our homes constantly. Turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Are y'all staying with me here? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. 
I mentioned it earlier. Do you see it in this passage that you're looking at there in your Bible? For you, your children, and your children after them. Success is never a singular generation. It's always us thinking about those who are beside us and those who are coming after us. I look to the ones before me to gain courage and strength. I look to those who are around me to say, let's go forward. And those that are coming after me to say, yes, you can do it because I want you to look back at me just like I'm looking back and saying, because of a great cloud of witnesses. I want to be able to join the great cloud of witnesses for the next generations. That is our purpose. There is no other. Lord, we will worship You. We will follow Your decrees wholeheartedly. Verse 3. Not only will we live a long life, but we'll be able to enjoy the land that God gives us. Verse 3. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. Everybody say obey. Obey. So that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. I want to continue to increase greatly in the Lord. That's not measured by my bank account or by my possessions, but I want to increase greatly in the Lord. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your... and with all of your... and with all of your... These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress them. (laughs) Add pressure and pointedness so that it will mark their lives. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. As Pastor Eric mentioned before, if they're sleeping, amen. Other than that, you're on. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You know why? Because you want reminders of the Lord everywhere in your life. The reason that we have our, our cards with Bible verses, the stones on them, is because we want to have it everywhere. When it's sitting there, we want to see the goodness of the Lord. We want to be reminded. We want to say what He's... We want to have our words coming out of our mouth be what He has said. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you have Scriptures written in your house? If you take a dry erase board marker... Works really well on your mirrors in your bathroom. Because you can just go, it comes right off. And then you write another verse. You meditate. You do these things. This is normal. This is normal. Because we're trying to get the word in us so that we can lead correctly as men. Amen? Let's go to Numbers 11. I'm intentionally skipping Ephesians just for a second. Let's go to Numbers 11 since we're close. Numbers 11. I had something hit me this, today that I haven't ever thought about, and it was from this passage. Numbers eleven sixteen is where we're going to start. It said, The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. It's good to have people that will stand with you. Amen? Amen. That is not a small thing. I will come down and speak with you there. What kind of God promises to come down and speak with us? This is incredible. 
And I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. What hit me this morning was I never really looked at this passage. I've looked at it a, a hundreds of times and I think leadership. I think of pastoral mantle. I think of you know a lot of different things, but I've never looked at it as a father. What the Lord was doing is saying, hey, Moses, you're a father to these people. I'm going to help give you people to father the nation. I looked at it and I thought about my own life and saying, the Lord is, you know what He needs to do in my family? You know what He's doing in my family? He's taking the spirit that's on me and He's putting it on my wife. And you know what He's doing? He's taking the spirit that's on me and He's putting it on my children. You, You know what? As a father, I want to tell my kids a lot about the how and the why and the who. How? Dad, how do I serve the Lord? Let me tell you how. Let me give you some instruction on how. Let me tell you why that we need to do this. Why? Not a specific instruction. My kids do not, are not owed a why on everything of why they're supposed to do it. Amen? But in a big picture, I'm saying, hey, this is, this is what it's like to serve the Lord. This is how we do this. This is why we're serving the Lord. This is the bigger picture because you're not going to get it, so I'm going to share it with you. Because I want you to replicate my life. Scary as that is. I want them to replicate who I am because God gave them to me. If you wanted Gabriel to be a, a, a giant NFL football player, probably needed a different dad than me. NBA basketball star, probably not going to come from these genes. Just saying. But if God wanted young men and young women to come from my household who understand how to serve Him, Amen. right place. Amen. Yeah. God's put the, put the kids in your home for a reason. You need to help them understand the why. You need to help them understand the how. You need to help them understand the who of what's going on. Because if you can do that well enough, you know what happens? They figure out the what. They learn what God is calling them to do. They can hear that and operate They can figure out the where. God can speak to them about where they're supposed to go. But we want to help. We want to develop that in them. Again, as leaders and as a church, this is what we do. More than just our natural children. Because there are many here who may not. But this is what we're trying to do is to show them to put the spirit of a leader on the people. Amen. That sounds cultish, doesn't it? It could. Unless the spirit of the leader is the right spirit. That's not a weird thing. People have taken it and made it very distorted and perverted just like anything else. This is a righteous thing. That God will take the spirit of one and put it on another. This is the way that it is supposed to be. Let's turn to John chapter 1. Pastor Eric has been helping me so much today. He's preaching many of the verses which means it's exactly what we need to hear. John chapter 1, let's start in verse 10. It says that He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, every say all, 
who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. That is the right kind of, <laughs> of childhood, of, of seeing God as our Father. Verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. <laughs> what an interesting comment, right? From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Can't you say that about your life? One blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. No one. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2.12 says this, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Service called Young Men recently. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. Verse 14. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. Same thing. That is our role as fathers. We've got to establish longevity in what we understand and what we know about Him. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Turn down, uh, go down and look in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Pretty plain, isn't it? Such a man is the Antichrist. Wow, the opposite of Christ. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. <laughs> Whoever acknowledges the Son also has the Father. We can understand the Father because of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. Turn uh, just a few more verses in 1 John 3. Verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Amen. Don't you guys like that word, lavished? Yes. He didn't just give it to us. He didn't just set it upon us. He lavished it upon us. When you're walking around and having thoughts that are different than this, you need to cause your mind and your heart to get in alignment with the Word. If you constantly have voices inside of your heart and inside of your head that are saying something different than this verse right here, perhaps you want to write this verse on a note card and keep it close to you. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. If you're called a, children, a child of God today, He has lavished love upon you. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be 
has not yet been made known. But we will, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen? Let's go on to the next slide. Just a few more verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 14. says this, I am not writing this to you to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. That should not bother us as much as it kind of, as much as uh, it seems to do in our day and time. Follow me. Nobody wants to say that anymore, Steve. Nobody wants to actually say, no, 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 follow me. What I do, you need to do. Why? Because we don't want the responsibility. Well, what if I mess up? Bible says that people are to follow. Are you living a life that is worthy of imitation? Your kids are going to imitate you. Your kids are going to sound like you. Your kids are going to do what you do. Yes? yes. yes. <laughs> Have you ever seen something in, in, in one of your kids and you went, whoa, that's me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, whoa, that's your mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely your mom. <laughs> All the good stuff, right here. You know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> But we've thought it. We've looked at him and went, Woo. <sighs> Lord, help me. Oh, that stubborn streak. Yeah. What, what people in my world used to say was they used to start blaming it on, uh, you know, oh, he's Irish, so he's angry. No, he's angry because he's angry. <laughs> because he learned it from his dad. That's not, it's amazing that every culture, oh, I'm Latino, so I'm supposed to be passionate. Amen. Good for you. Doesn't allow you to be sinful. That's the human nature. <laughs> That's not the culture that you came from. <laughs> you know, it's not because you got red hair versus blonde hair versus dark hair. It's humanity. And we're supposed to imitate Christ, but we're also supposed to imitate the leaders that He puts before us. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. We need to be living lives that we can urge people. Hey, this is not arrogant. You need to follow what I'm doing. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to follow somebody like Baj. You need to imitate Baj Eregini. You need to imitate Charlie. You need to imitate Steve. You need to. It will do you good. It will bless your life if you do. For this reason, I am sending you to Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. You know what happens? He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and every church. Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how that a father is supposed to discipline his children. He disciplines those that he loves. To not receive discipline is an unloving act. It's neglect. As a church, it is not loving you to not discipline you. We discipline because we love. That is the right way to look at it. 
just as a father should discipline his child. You know what? If you haven't started disciplining your child early, you think it gets easier to discipline them after they get older and stronger and more set in their ways? If you don't address it early, I promise it just gets harder. It gets harder and harder and more ingrained. So what does that mean? That means you do it because you love them. Proverbs 22.6 talks about how that we are supposed to train up our children in the way they're to go. And they won't depart. Not the way that our modern church uses it and says, hey, when they go off and they act like total, when they act like ungodly, they'll come back. That's what most people use this passage as. Let's go to the, let's go to the next slide. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up here in just a second. Paul talks to Timothy and he says, you know what, Timothy, you're my true son in the faith. 1 Timothy 1, 2. He says, you're my true son. Paul was, uh, Timothy was not Paul's biological son, but he claimed him as his own. Titus, he says, hey Titus, you're my true son in our common faith. <laughs> Have you ever said something like this to people? You're my favorite. I had a boss one time that he would say, hey, don't tell anybody else, but you, you're my favorite. And you're like, yeah, until you realize that he's telling that to everybody, right? <laughs> you, you're my favorite. Just don't tell anybody. Shh. Wait a minute. I got you figured out. This is not what Paul's doing here. He's not just telling everyone that they're his true son because he doesn't actually do that very often. He's saying to Timothy, he's saying to Titus, you don't have to be part of my biology to be part of my family. Amen. There are folks here in this place, you don't have to be a part of my biology, but you're part of my family. Amen. You have a place here in this church. Mandy, I'm so glad you're a part of my family. Miranda, Marissa, God, I'm so glad y'all are part of this family. You may not, you don't have to look at me as family. I'm telling you, I still count you as family. I love to look at Curtis and Mary and go, this is family. I mean, I mean, we look alike, don't we? I think I just insulted y'all. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> They're much better looking, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I need all the help I can get, man. It's all right. <laughs> Second Timothy talks about giving us a perspective of how we're supposed to endure. Yes. We're supposed to endure like a good soldier, like a farmer who has to work hard, like an athlete who has to compete for it. This is the understanding that we're supposed to have. Hebrews 11 gives an incredible list of men Mighty men and their exploits as they go through. Let's turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Hebrews 10, and starting in verse 35. <clears throat> 
says this, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Everybody say persevere. Persevere. Hey, men in the room, you need to persevere. You need to persevere in righteousness. You need to persevere in godliness. You need to persevere in discipline. You need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Fathers, you will live by faith. This is how this is accomplished. You know what faith says? I don't understand how to do this. Lord, what are you telling me? Lord, I feel this way, but what does your word tell me? I feel this way. Your word says this. You know which one I'm going to pick? I'm going to live by faith and do what you say. Above my tradition. Above my feeling. Above my own thoughts. That is a foundational life in the faith. I hear you, Lord. I'm going to do that. Nervous. I don't get it. But I'm sure that you're saying this, and this is where we're going to go. And if I fail, then I fail because I'm going to do what you say. And by the way, that's the only way to assure not failing is to do exactly what God has told you. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. We can't have retreat within our blood. We can't have a reverse in this direction of what we're doing. Sometimes we may need to stop and stand still and make sure that we're heading in the right direction. But we are not of those who shrink back. Look at the next verse. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. This church is marked with men who love the Lord, who will stand in manhood, who will stand in fatherhood and never shrink back. That is the call. That is the minimum that we're to do. That's the minimum. Is we stand flat-footed. Those are some of those are some of my favorite scenes in the movies. When you got one guy standing there against a whole onslaught, and they're like, "Well, if I'm gonna go down, I'm going down moving forward. If 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 I get the honor." of giving my life, then it's going to be because I'm moving forward, not because I turn and tuck tail and run. Your family and this family is worth you standing and not shrinking back. For some of you in here, you've been shrinking back in areas. You've been shrinking back in your leadership. You've been shrinking back in doing what God told you to do. We are not of those. You are not of those who shrink back. You're worried about failing, and the Bible says, don't shrink back. Verse 35, so don't throw away your confidence. Yeah, but I don't know, and I don't see, and I'm not sure. Stand firm then. Let nothing move you. This is a righteous way to look at it. Last passage of Scripture. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and let's start in verse 13. (coughs) 
I'm sorry, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. <laughs> you feel like you ever got some low spots on your wall in your life? Got some exposed things that you're like, I hope nobody sees that. Y'all have the room in your house that you throw everything in when guests come over? The drawer, the closet that is about to burst forth? Straining at the tension of what you shoved in there and tried to close the door on? I mean, not that that ever happens at our house, I'm just saying. (laughs) I station people at the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. You know what a body of Christ is for? It's to be able to help you stand guard when, you're, when the wall is low and you are exposed. Amen. This is what the body of Christ does. This is what the family of Christ does for you. God sets the lonely in families for a reason. But look how He did it. He posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Here, Those of you here at Life Changing Ministries, fight for your brothers. Fight for your children. Fight for your homes. If you're not coming out bloodied and bruised every once in a while, then you're not fighting. I don't mean you and your wife got in a scuffle. Fight for them. It's different when I fight with my wife or fight against my wife and when I'm fighting for her. What can we do when we're fighting for what the Lord has given us? It's ever before us in our mind. I'm fighting for something. I can see it. I'm going to fight from His power that goes through me. And it's everly, I put it ever before my thinking. What about, Lord, what about Aisha? Lord, what about Angel? I put it before me, and you know what I want to do? I want to fight for you. Yes. As husbands, as fathers, we should be fighting for our family. Did you see the statistics? Did you see the, the, the pictures that we put up there? It wasn't just for comic relief. It was to say that we have to fight against what's there. If you are passive, you're losing. If you are sitting, you're not fighting. The Bible says to stand up and fight for what God has given you. Fight for your family. David Hall, continue to fight for your family in exactly what God is calling you to do. Peyton Parsons, fight for your family. This is what we are to do. Anything else, anything less... Truth is, is it's not very manly. Amen. And it's not very godly. I want Pastor Eric to come stand with me here as we close. Can you come stand beside me just for a second? So as, as pastors, <laughs> I love standing with my brothers. Amen. I love it. You know why? Amen. Because what I know is that this right here, I know that I have brothers who will die for me. I know I have brothers that when I get weak and I get disoriented on the battlefield, I know that I have brothers that say, hey, 
This way. We'll fight with you. You seem to be holding your sword kind of low. You seem to be holding your shield down by your side. How about we stand here until you can regain your strength? You know what else I know? That these are men who fight for their families. They fight for their families. Every last one of them. What about you? 